0: you're listening to family feud part of the paris style podcast family they might not be brother and sister but they sure do fight like they are here's your hosts keely or and shotgun sprat lane
1: Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yore, joined by Shotgun Spratling. We're back with another podcast following USC's 45-20 to beatdown over the Stanford Cardinal. We have a good show looking ahead to the matchup against BYU on Saturday. As a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Well, Shotgun, let's just get right into it. Stock up, and it's interesting, after a win like this, this it seems like the the balances are a little towards stock up than it is towards stock down.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, when you when you blow out a team, you you come back from being down seventeen to three to thrash thrash ooh the Cardinal vocab word there forty two to three after that. I mean, y- you got a lot of guys that that played really well. It all starts with the quarterback. That's what everybody wanted to talk about this week. That's why there were like forty seven TV trucks outside. The gates on Tuesday, and why Keeley was getting beat up in the scrum. It's
1: true. <laughs> I was I was going into the scrum and out of nowhere, because I, I was putting my arms up to get a, a shot of Keaton, and some camera guy just puts an elbow into my ribs. It's it's rough out there these days, Shaka. I'm
0: telling you, you gotta have sharp elbows, like you're in a club. You know, always always be able to use your elbows to widen your space a little bit. So if you, if you give up, maybe and put your arms up above your head in that situation, we're gonna have to get you a flag jacket like a quarterback.
1: Sure. I mean, I was a wide receiver, <laughs> like I. I I was just getting the catch, getting the first down for the team, you know?
0: <laughs> Giving up the body, I yeah, see. Yeah,
1: exactly. But, yeah,
0: Slovis obviously was really good. 28-33, to 33, 377 yards, and throwing for three touchdowns. He was fantastic. Sets all kinds of freshman records. He took what the defense gave him a lot of, uh, most of the time. Sometimes he threw the harder throw than, than he – you know, he had an easier throw and he had to take the harder one. But he looked really good out there. He was on, in, in sync with the receivers. The offensive line gave him time in the pocket, and he also climbed the po- – Pocket at times he moved around the pocket as need be and he escaped a, a sack or two as well which are always a uh, offensive lineman's favorite when uh, when they look at the final stats of that sack that they did not give up uh, but yeah I, I think that he was really good in this game so immediately stock up for him because he looks so much better than he did in that second half against Fresno State there's there's the the trajectory is is to the roof right now um so we'll see where he goes from here but easily that's probably the easiest one out there is that Keaton Slovis his stock is way up this week
1: yeah have to agree had him on there as well I also thought just the poise he had uh, he was very comfortable in the pocket he was making his reads really well and I think that's key in an air rate offense you have to be comfortable to make the best decision and I think that's what Mason Fine did well as well and that's how he succeeded in that offense so interesting just to see that poise from a young player like that but I another young player that I had on stock up was Elijah Griffin Four pass breakups, four tackles. I thought he showed out really well against, you know, he could have cowered for a six-seven Colby Parkinson, but he showed some hops. And, and the thing is, too, I thought he really uh, delivered a spark for the defense when they could have spiraled down. We've mentioned this a lot at this point in the week, but that 17-3 to mark after the Bayless Jones kickoff return fumble It could have been downward spiral for this team. That's what we've seen. But Elijah Griffin kept the pace. He kept that intensity. And he made two critical plays in that sequence. And he's not afraid to get in there to stop the run game. He's just so physical. And I think it's a great showing from him. I know there are questions about this cornerbacks grouping. Uh, They could have growing pains. So far, Elijah Griffin has done well, given what we expected out of that group coming into the season.
0: Yeah, definitely. He he played fantastic. I mean, you get four pass breakups in a game. That's that's a pretty that's a Nwosu number. Uh not very often that USC's had that from their DBs in recent. You know, not only is he there and stopping a play from happening, but he's actually getting his hands on the ball, which tells you that interceptions could be coming not too long in his future there. And he had four tackles in the game. Like you said, he came up in the run game. It was He was fantastic. That's probably my favorite part of it. But I think I, I got him charting right now. I chart you know who the passes are against. Now I got some team completions, team interse- uh, incompletions on screen passes and stuff. But Elijah Griffin right now, when the ball has been thrown his way, Teams are O of ten throwing at him. Wow! Now there's been a couple times where DB, I mean the receivers have been open, uh, have gotten a a step on him, but the quarterbacks haven't been able to complete those. And if they don't complete them, you know what that counts as. A-0, incomplete. Uh, they don't get any yards for that. You don't get any yards for being open. You get yards for making catches. And that hasn't happened on Elijah Griffin yet. So he's been really good. Uh, another guy on the defensive side looking. I had Elijah Griffin as well. So uh, <laughs> another guy on the defensive side, Connor Murphy. Yeah, I think I you got to well. have him on there. You know, he, He's got his first career sack. You know, I was excited to see him. You know, he told me after the first game, that you know they're, they're trying to have a party in the backfield and obviously he's got the the redhead and mullet so you know he's got the, the you got party in the back and now he's having a party in the backfield you know he he did really well stepping in when Christian Rector went down you know kind of got dinged up with a foot injury he and Drake Jackson were both dinged up and USC just kept throwing guys out there and Connor Murphy ends up playing a career high 25 defensive snaps and a career high I think 38 total snaps in this game so you know the fact that he's Come from where he was last year and having the redshirt and you know having the illness that he was dealing with to being able to get into the rotation and now making an impact. Not just being in a rotation, not just being a body, but now he's making an impact. And he has had a couple nice pass rushes in there and he, he you know basically took advantage of a freshman left tackle with a bull rush and then throwing the the tackle out of the way to get the sack that he had. But I think he's playing really well right now and to see his teammates after he when he came off the field after the sack, Michael Pittman was one of the first guys to go and give him a hug. You know, Johnny Nansen was out there patting him on his uh, on his chest plate as well. So uh, you know, during the play when it happened, Brandon Peely's jumping up, all excited. Of course, Brandon Peely's always excited. <laughs> true, it true. seems like. Uh, but you know, I, I thought the way his teammates reacted and tells you a lot about his standing with his team and, and what you know the guys were excited to see him do well.
1: Without a doubt, it's always great to see the guys who've been waiting in the wings, really trying to get their their moment on the field and to see Connor Murphy kind of have that moment happen is, is really good to see. I'm going back to the offensive side. I had wide receiver Amon Ross saying Brown on stock up eight receptions for 97 yards two touchdowns. That catch he made in the end zone, that bomb from Keenan Slovis. If you haven't seen my highlights I'm going to plug them because you can really see how just acrobatic a catch that was for him um, I know Shotgun, he talked to you about what he had to do for that uh, to make that catch but I just think that he's such a reliable option out there yeah and he made some really heads-up plays. There were two separate plays where he comes back to the ball, he's short of the sticks, but then reaches out and gets that first down. Just the, the spatial awareness from him and how reliable he is as a receiver is just uh, – I think it's great for Keaton Slovis to have a weapon like Almond Ross-St. Brown.
0: Yeah, you, you point out the two catches that was picking up a first down, which on a third down play, which led to the Stephen Carr touchdown run, and then picking up the touchdown the other one. you know, So if you're going to plug your highlights, I'm going to plug the photo gallery because I got the – the Touchdown, you're referencing a very nice shot of, that, shot of that one, and then also my story with Amon Ra talking about this and film study that we did as Plug well. Plug it all, shotgun. Plug uh, it all. You, uh, in the film study, one of the things we look at is he told me, you know, when I talked to him afterwards that. They knew it was going to be a big play. If they the, he saw a certain alignment, he saw the DB, the the cornerback that was guarding him and man coverage was playing with the outside technique. He's like, oh, this this is a this is a big opportunity right here. And he really put a great move on him, had a lot of space out there. Keaton Slowis throws it pretty high up in the air, but you know it got down just in time before the safety got over there as well. So that was USC's first touchdown, and that was that was a huge drive for them because you know they're down 17-3 they needed a spark on offense they had moved the ball the first time but they went uh, they got a first down and didn't really do much their second drive so that third drive was really important especially after the way things had turned on the other side you know another wide receiver i got on my stock up is Drake London you know, he gets his yeah. first career catches. You know I think he had somewhere 50, 60, 70 yards in there. He had a 45-yard catch. But he's the starter in there the last two games. And you know when they went four wide and they did it a lot in this game, 47 of their 61 plays were four wide, it was usually Drake London. He was the starter in that, that opposite position uh, of Am- Amon Ra St. Brown. And I thought he played really good. And he's a versatile guy. You know, he actually played running back growing up. So, you know, he's used to that middle of the field and being able to see the, the defenders. I think that really helps him there. What about his basketball knowledge as well? Basketball always helps as well, just because you're, you know, he's like Mr. Versatility. <laughs> you know, he can play inside and outside as a receiver. He can play football or basketball. You know, he played running back before. He's played qu- He played quarterback in high school for Park early in his career as well. To play receiver now, I, I, he's super versatile. They can use him for a lot of different things. He's a great blocker as well. He catches the ball really well. He, I'm really excited about his future just at USC in general, not just for football. Football, but basketball as well. Um, but I think that he's able to do some things in the middle of the field that maybe some of their other slot receivers aren't able to do because he's a big body. You don't usually think of slot receivers as the big body guys like he is. But he's off to a great start of his career, and especially his stock is up after you know as many plays as he got to play this game.
1: Well, I'm going to keep with the offensive theme for my stock up. I had it's a two parter here. I had offensive confidence. <laughs> And leadership. Now, Dan kind of made this point on instant analysis following the game, but the team just felt comfortable with the fact that they could come back offensively in this game down 17 to three. That's something that I don't think that confidence was there in past offenses, specifically with a gumbo type of scheme. If they didn't put up a good lead in maybe the first quarter before maybe adjustments came in from the opposing defense, it was kind of it. Maybe a last-minute type of heroic effort, hero ball type of things. But I just felt like there's a different confidence where knowing that you can come back from being behind this early in the season is going to be valuable. It could prove to be valuable later down the road if that happens again. They know that they've done it before. But also, offensive leadership, we've talked about it a lot. Who's going to be that guy that's going to go into people's faces and say, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to score. Who would have thought that it would have been Keaton Slovis to do that? And granted, JT Daniels was the one who kind of encouraged him to do that. So I don't want to put that all on Keaton's shoulders. But for Keaton to do that, and to do it in an authentic way that was convincing, that his team believed in it and didn't weren't like okay, who's this freshman saying this? Like we don't really care. But the fact that they bought into it, he had the confidence to say that to his teammates. I think is a good sign going forward. So overall, I think we saw positive uh, confidence, gusto, leadership, if you will, from the offense, and I think that will only uh, help this team going forward.
0: And I think the attitude of the team you know, that, yeah. that his teammates would accept that. You know, him giving leadership instead of being like oh, what's this freshman doing here? you got to throw JT Daniels in this. You know, he gave he gave Keaton his notes, his preparation, you know, his week of preparation leading up to a game. He stayed with Keaton the night before at the team hotel, was his roommate, kind of prepared him for this game. And then, you know, giving him pointers on the sidelines and stuff, you know, that you got to give him credit because that's not something that a quarterback, you know, a quarterback that just was injured has to do. I thought that was really big of him. You know, another guy I got on the, the offensive line, I think just the offensive line in general, I think should be stock up. I was going to put Brett Nealon because of the way they're communicating, but I think it just goes to the entire unit. You know, they, they are doing a much better job than maybe was anticipated. You know, that was a big question mark I had coming into this season. Could you pick up the short yardage uh, situations? They've done that so far, except outside of the one, third and one, fourth and one against Fresno State. They've scored when they've been in the red zone. You know, they've been able to stick the ball in. Even, they threw the ball a ton in this game, but when they needed to, they ran the ball inside the five-yard line, was able to, were able to pick up the touchdowns uh, down – in the short yardage areas there so I thought the offensive line was great
1: yeah I originally put that on stock up and then deleted it in my notes because I knew you were probably going to go there (laughs) and I had put the offensive line on stock up last week which you did make fun of me for if I will remind you but I saw it coming I think they've made good steps forward so that was a a similar stock up for me as well
0: I got one last one I'm going a little outside the box here okay I'm gonna go with Wole Batiku. You know, the former <laughs> USC Trojan.
1: Are you getting paid for this? No. I, Behind the curtain, Chaka has talked about Wole so many times in this last week that more than when he was actually a USC player. So I, Because
0: he's getting a play now. What's he doing? He's got, sure. he's got five sacks. He's got six and a half tackles for loss. He's recovered a fumble. You know, you could just put Illinois transfers here for, for the USC guys. They're all doing really well. I'm just really happy to see those guys that are they're finally getting an opportunity and they're making the most of it. You know, how many times do we see guys and they kind of get lost in the shuffle and they get forgotten about? These guys, Olawale Batiku, Joshua Bebe, Trayvon Sydney, have gone to Illinois. You, you, you hate to lose talented players, but it's great to see them being able to to live their dreams. You know, being a college football player and having some success. So yeah, I'm putting them all stock up. I don't care. I don't That's care. Fine.
1: Just make sure you put hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored, because that's what you're legally obligated to do (laughs) when you're the PR person. Just kidding. Uh, Before we move on, uh, we did get a submission from Richard from Cardinal Country. He said the Kentucky kind. He said he wanted to go out of the box, which wasn't too out of the box, because he said Connor Murphy, we both had him on stock up. But he also said Marquis Step. But uh, Marquis Step does have a calf injury, so he's a game-time decision come Saturday.
0: That's unfortunate, because he looked great on his couple of runs that he had. I mean, that first run... He, he breaks the tackle of an outside linebacker. He breaks the angle of a safety, and then he just discards a, a cornerback, throwing him into the sideline. You know, he had a huge run there. You know, I, I wonder, I, I'm curious if they would have not had that penalty would have Clay given them one more play. But like, all right, you got one play to try to get in. It was like the three- or four-yard line because they ended up taking a knee on the very next play instead. I wonder if they say, all right, you got one play. We'll see if you get in. If you don't get in, that's it. You know, the clock runs out. But I would, I would have been curious to see if he would have just took the knee then or given him an opportunity.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure, but I do know that Clay Hilton and David Shaw are friends, and maybe you don't want to really you know rub salt in the wound to one of your friends hey
0: i don't care about the coach on the other side you got to be you got to give your players opportunities when you come into those chances you know when else are your your backup quarterback and your third string running back going to get an opportunity you don't know if they will for another couple games so give them that chance and and let them run one play and say hey you got one we'll see what happens
1: this is why your name is shotgun sprangling and not clay hilton you two are different people and different philosophies a little bit different. Speaking of different philosophies, let's move on to stock neutral. So, I. <laughs> this is,
0: can you just do this after stock down instead of Deep in breath. the middle of this? It's in
1: the middle. It makes sense. I had special teams on stock neutral. This is what happened behind the scenes. I put them on stock down and then was like, wait a minute. So, then had to put them back on stock neutral because Austin Jackson did block a field goal. Uh, in the game against Stanford. And then against Fresno State, Bailey Jones had the kickoff return for a touchdown. So they've done some positive things, but they've also made some problems for USC's defense, giving them bad field position. They've had some mistakes, the fumble, et cetera, et cetera. So in that case, had to put them on stock neutral.
0: For the the Stanford game, I'd say they were, their stock went down. You yeah. had the big return uh, against Fresno State. The, bi- the biggest thing in the Fresno State game was the two number sevens. Uh, so... That was more of a coaching thing than on the special teams units themselves. And in this game, the block kick—even if he makes that field goal—does it change much of the game? No. Um, it was a pretty low kick too, which helped uh, Austin Jackson get his hand up. They also missed a field goal right before that. True. Which are you going to credit the block for that one? No. I mean, I mean, the the good thing is the defense has forced a lot of field goals so far. When you know they've been in those uh, those offensive opportunities for uh, opponents. So. I think that they're doing a good job of getting to the field goal unit, and they're going to block some because Austin Jackson's a big dude. Connor Murphy's in there. Brandon Peely, Brandon Peely is the one that deserves credit for that block as well because he really pushed the pile back um, and, and was able to help Austin Jackson get back for that one. But I think they're on stock down for this week.
1: Okay. I'll I'll see If I'm fair. just
0: rating the special teams based off of what they were the first week, the second week, there's no neutral. Mm. They either didn't move or they moved.
1: Hmm. We'll see. Stock hmm. down. Who you got?
0: I'm going to go with uh, covering screens first. I think it's a, a big issue that USC's defense has had the first two games. You know, they're just getting they're getting too much. They're over pursuing too much as a defensive line and not recognizing quick enough. And Clancy Pendergast said basically the same thing. He said, "Yeah, we'd like to be doing better on the screens, uh, but but they're not right now." And I think that that's something you saw. Stanford really attacked. Stanford really attacked those first couple drives with what Fresno State did well, and USC didn't show that they had made the adjustments. Uh, the the outside runs, the misdirection. You know, Stanford gets a, a reverse as well. So I'm curious to see what BYU does. I think Stanford kind of went away from it. You know, especially when it was 14-3 and you have the ball in the red zone. Why not go with what's worked the first two drives really successfully instead of throwing the jump balls? Now that's your identity, okay, but. If it's working in a game, why go away from it? I, I didn't really understand that at all, especially when it was third and three, I think, and they still threw that one. You know, They picked up seven yards, I think it was, on second down. It was third and three, third and four, somewhere in there. Still threw another jump ball, and Elijah Griffin made some very nice plays on both of those.
1: As far as what USC's defense is showing on film and maybe not making those necessary adjustments, how much are they each week putting in just a blueprint of, hey, this is how you defeat USC's defense?
0: You know, after two games and it's the same errors, those are the things that USC should have been practicing all week this week because you know, BYU is definitely going to at least try those things. You know, you test the waters and put your foot in the water to see how cold it is. We'll see if this works. You know, it might not be our strength. Like Stanford doesn't run a lot of misdirection, like reverse type plays. But you put your foot in and see if you know, see if the water's okay. And then if it is, then you, then you can go in full throttle. Which that's what I didn't understand about Stanford. It's like, hey, maybe they had you know they scripted out these plays. Let's try try these misdirection plays, and then. Didn't really go back to it. Didn't really try to stress USC's defense in the same ways that they did. Now they threw a a couple more screen passes, and USC did a better job, you know, after those first two drives of defending the screen passes. But they still got a couple where they picked up some yardage. So I was just kind of confused on on why they didn't continue doing what was working, and rather they, if that was the script, you know, they say why go away from the script? You know, that's basically I didn't understand in that part. And if you're an opponent coming up, I think you go and try those things and see if they work or not.
1: Now, I'm going to dip into my heritage just because it's so relevant to what we're talking about right now. I talked to defensive line coach Chad Kay um, about, because he talked about the issues that they're facing as a defense, and he said Clancy Pendergast, defensive coordinator, actually called in the whole defensive staff, and they, after week two, did a self-scout because they thought that they had weaknesses that were showing. And what they learned from that were basically three areas of weakness. One, defending the screen. Two, perimeter defense. And three, misdirection, which is something that... Shotgun, which was funny. It was we did film study on Wednesday morning. You essentially said that those three things Wednesday morning, and then come to practice later a couple hours later. Chad K said the same exact thing, and you're like, "Oh, good to know. I'm all on the same page." <laughs> so, but uh, but then I asked, "Okay, well, if you know that, how are you fixing that in week three, mid season?" And he said, "Well, we did a lot of drills about it." And, and Chad K is a guy who takes a lot of pride in his position group. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't know about other guys, but we did a lot of work about that. And then he said, there's some scheme adjustments that they're doing. He said, I can't tell you at least right now, but we did some scheme to f- try and uh, fix those areas. But how do you think that they approach this knowing they know their weaknesses, but they can't necessarily fix them until com- come game time?
0: Well, the thing is, you you practice on those things. You know, you'll you'll run more screens in practice, just do recognition things. And and it's partly on the defensive line. The screen game's on the defensive line. You know, they've got to do a better job because you saw the touchdown that, that Stanford had. USC's defensive line was way over aggressive. There was only two, I think it was two Stanford. Lineman stayed in a block basically and the re- the other three got out well you had four guys go forward so now you got two blockers and a quarterback now it's eight on seven they've got seven blockers seven defenders and you got a guy running the ball so that's not good odds for your defense so usc has to do a better job recognizing first uh, the screens is pl- happening you know if you're blowing by your offensive lineman on a pass rush then usually that means it's a screen pass uh, but then on the the next line of defense the linebackers have to do a better job with their a- edge coverage and Maybe they maybe they widen the linebackers out a little bit. Maybe they do some different things with the linebackers and where they're lined up. And that, they move the guys around. You saw Palia and Itoate coming off the edge a lot. They use some zone blitzes where he would come off the edge. The defensive end on the other side would drop back. So they're doing some different things. But I just think you attack. You know when you see what's wrong with yourself, you attack that. You know, the same thing with Clay Helton saying, you know, accountability's an issue, turnover's an issue. What did they do? They went through turnover circuits over and over and over. We saw in the first game they were able to get those turnovers. We saw Greg Johnson get the turnover. They've lowered their penalty numbers. Uh, you know, I, I think they're attacking the issues they have. Remember, I said this before, I think, on this show, but Steve Sarkeesian, when he would say, you know, we, we're just not doing this well, the next week they would do it really well because they would really harp on it. And I think if you know what you're doing wrong, you can really harp on it and go and fix it whereas that hasn't always been the case with this off, this team in the past. You know, they'd say, well, we're not doing this well, and they just wouldn't fix it. I think that's what they got to do. they got to go and tack those things really hard.
1: Yeah, and I thought that was actually an encouraging sign if you're a USC fan, that they're taking those weaknesses head-on and, and trying to fix them now this early in the season rather than being like, eh, not now. We're doing well in other things. And and to be fair, that's what we heard from them coming out of the Fresno State game. They kind of dismissed Jorge Reina's uh, rushing yards, which was a little bit like, okay, but... That's still an issue. So the fact that they are now kind of changing their tune and saying that they're addressing those weaknesses is at least a
0: good sign. Yeah, I think Uh, it's definitely positive.
1: For sure. Uh, But coming back to stock down, I had slow defensive starts. I thought that uh, USC's offense has definitely nailed how to practice and how it transfers to game time. I think... USC's defense is a little slow to get going in that sense. And sometimes in their tackling, uh, we saw that in Fresno State as well, just not getting the quarterback down. There's some things that you just can't really transfer from practice to games, especially the way that this team likes to practice. So I just think if they can kind of nail down, uh, maybe tweak some things to the defensive practices, that way they're not kind of warming up to get full speed in the beginning of the game, I think that will –
0: behoove the defense who behoove them (laughs) that's where my mind went to for some reason uh i also on stock down i got the doom and gloomers you know i think they're upset because you win 45 to 20 what do you what do you what do you be upset with when you want to be upset all the time and you know a lot of people want clay helton to lose a bunch of games so usc will have to fire him but they looked great in this game you know they struggled at the the beginning with their defense they made corrections they go on a 42-3 run I don't know what you look at in that game and go, well, this has to. What can you be a curmud- curmudgeon about? You know, USC played really well this game, so I think the doom and gloomers had a little stock down this week. We'll see how it bounces back. I think the Stanford Stanford defense has a lot of issues. We'll see if they get those things corrected themselves. But USC really attacked them hard, uh, and, and I think that you know USC played really well as a group and showed that they have a little mental fortitude. Oh, yeah. who knows? This might be a team that surprises people.
1: It always makes me wonder what your end game is if you're disappointed after the the game that USC had against Stanford because that's a great performance and if you're mad or angry after that it's like what's your in game did you lose the site that you're a USC fan in hopes of getting Clay Helton fired like you want to enjoy all wins so what's your in game there
0: and and there were people like trashing individual players and there was nobody in this game where I was just like yeah that guy had a pretty bad game Everyone, there was no one that, that you can point a finger at. Even like the I, people were giving Palier and Atiote saying he was terrible at this game. I was like, What game were you guys watching? He was great coming off the edge, he caused a lot of pressure. Now, he didn't get a lot of tackles, but he was the second or third man in a several times. People were trashing Greg Johnson. I'm like, He had six tackles and an interception, and he broke up another pass that was almost another interception. You know, he, yeah. He had some tackles because they made some catches. Well, that's where Stanford's bread and butter is, attacking with the tight end. So sometimes your your defender is going to give up some things against their best option. That's going to happen. What did he do? He didn't put his head down and say, well, I'm just getting beat by a tight end. No, he went and made an interception to change the game. And he got the football kebab. (laughs) The football kebab. Yes, USC's new... A turnover instrument, I guess. is <laughs> turno- Turnover apparatus. Apparatus, yeah, that's a good word for it. You know, all these teams, since the turnover chain that Miami had, everyone's got a new thing. USC even had last year, they had a turnover robe, I guess. Cape? It was, I, guess, I think it was more of a robe, like a king type thing yeah, for true. a Trojan, I guess. But I think this one's a much better. It's a it's a skewered, uh, sword on a football uh, or a football on a sword. So I think it's a much better option for them because you can just lift that thing up. Yeah, it's
1: definitely it's cooler. You look like yeah. you're conquering something, even though it does look like a football kebab. But it's definitely cooler.
0: What else would you put on a football kebab? <laughs> oh, to make a true kebab on it. It's <laughs> a good question. You gotta have like a yard mark, like a, the, the pylon. You gotta have at least one pylon. You got to have like a you got a couple yellow flags in there. True. Maybe like a, a fence, like a defense, <laughs> the fence part of that on it. Just like, come on, come on. <laughs> football, come on, football, come on. Come on, come on.
1: Anyway, uh, back to Stockdown. I had Devin Williams on Stockdown just for his tenure as a Trojan. Right now, it seems like it's over. He announced on Wednesday that he's entering the transfer portal. He was actually at practice on Tuesday, was not there, obviously, on Wednesday. I, to me, it seems like there's more to it because if it was solely about playing time, it just doesn't make sense to leave during week three when you might have to lose more time in the future for all that to go down. So, you know, Devin Williams is someone we've talked about on this show before, how he himself talked about he needed to focus more and there was consistency issues there. I think he was upset about playing time. Clay Hilton said that he was a good kid, wished him well in his future endeavors. Not much about the, the substance of what went behind the decision, but we can only guess, and that would probably be playing time. But like I said, I think there's more complexities to this uh, decision.
0: Yeah, it was. it's kind of an interesting timing there, especially if you are worried about playing time. He did only play 10 snaps this past game, uh, so, and he didn't play in the first game. If you're worried about playing time, after the Stanford game is not the best time to say, well, I'm never going to play because Stanford runs – so you run much fewer plays in the Stanford game because of the tempo that they run at. So you go to the BYU game or even particularly the, the Utah game where Utah uses some tempo as well, there might be 80, 90 plays in that game on offense. You're going to rotate more as a receiver there. So I think his, his turn was probably coming, and especially because he's behind Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman's is going to be gone after this year. So that means he would be the incumbent. That would be his spot. You know, He takes over as the lead receiver right Right there on the left side, so it was confusing in that. I also had Velas Jones. I had Devin Williams on there as well, but Velas Jones. It seems like he's been passed over a little bit by some of the younger receivers. He's not getting much time with that second unit, and I, I, I kind of wonder if. You know, the fact that he was gone in the spring, how much that's hurting him, you know, where some of those other receivers were able to get some opportunities. Uh, so he basically came in in the fall and he's got to make the same impression that Drake London, Meneer McLean, those guys are getting an opportunity to make. So, you know, maybe he's just a little bit slower to make that uh, that uh, impression on Graham Harrell and the offensive coaches. So he's been falling behind, but both those guys, just because they weren't getting a ton of time, were already on my stock down. And Devin Williams, obviously, leaving does not help that either.
1: And for the final stock down, it comes from Richard. He said, David Shaw clock management, which you talked about tempo. I thought that was interesting how they were down by a bit and kept doing their Stanford run out the the play clock before getting the ball off. So interesting things from David Shaw.
0: Do you get to a point and realize we're not stopping them right now? Our defense is just not playing well. We're not stopping them at all.
1: I will say, I get where you're going with this. I will say that drive in the third quarter, they ran like seven minutes off the clock and had nothing to show for it. And I think that was a huge dagger because I think they were trying to do that to what you're suggesting. But if your offense can't do anything about it, your kind of, your whole Stanford plan goes up in flames.
0: And after that happened, so USC didn't do anything on their first drive of the second half, but after that, they scored on the next three drives. So that's when they took command of the game. It was 24-20. Stanford goes on that long drive and is not able to get in the end zone, and they missed the field goal. Or I don't remember if that was the miss or the block, but anyways, USC, their next three drives, they all score. So – I think maybe at that point, you're just like, we're just not, you throw the interception, you get the fourth down stop. And you're just, oh my God, it's just, everything's going against you type of thing. Um, I, I think that USC's tempo, I really like the fact that you saw them actually milk the clock. They're make an adjustment, realize that they made a mistake the first week, even though Clay Helton didn't agree that he made a mistake on it. But they they had a chance to burn off more than two minutes in the Fresno State game that they didn't. But you saw them this game in the fourth quarter. You, know, you saw them on the sideline doing the udders, you know, the milk udders, because the sign is oh, milk the clock.
1: Ooh, there we go. If you
0: didn't didn't see that from Clay Helton on the broadcast, you know, he's making the like he's milking a cow uh, on the sideline. That's to milk the clock. And, they, and there was one play where he ran down the sideline, and was yelling milk, milk, milk. And, and you see that they were up at the line and they waited and they just stopped and waited and they milked it down to below five seconds on the on the play clock and then ran their play. And they were still successful in their play, so it wasn't like anything changed with the offense. They just took a little bit more time off the clock. So that's an adjustment. Look at that. USC making adjustments. Ta-da!
1: Well, that's a perfect segue into our next segment. Heard it on the sideline. That was a great observation by you, shotgun. <laughs> but what else did you hear on the sideline?
0: Well, after Keaton Slow's first touchdown pass, the long throw to Amon Ross St. Brown, Clay Helton comes over on this. On this, well, first off, Keaton Slowes gets mugged on the way back to the bench. Everyone was just loving him up as much as he can, which shows the the you know the team that that. This group is together much more than we saw in the past. You know, the defensive guys are coming over, the offensive guys. But Clay Helton comes up to Slovis on the sideline and told him, Great job, son. Now do it again. And that was basically the only thing he said to Slovis after it. So, you know, he told him, Congratulations. He's like, Let's go. Let's do it again. Let's keep it going. And I think that's kind of the mentality they have with Keaton Slovis. It's not like, Hey, you did a great job. This is never going to happen again. It's like, All right, let's go. Do it again. Do it again. Let's go. Rep it out. And that's the same with the offense. They want to do all, you know, continue to run their plays over and over and over. And that's what they expect. You know, they're, they're expecting the offense with success, which is different. And that's a different confidence that we've seen from this group as well. You mentioned how excited
1: people were for Keaton. I In the same vein, I I was kind of, you know, the post-game on the field is a little bit of mayhem, and I was trying to get tweets out, et cetera, et cetera, and then I just hear the players get really excited, and I was like, what's going on? And I look over, and Keaton's climbing the ladder uh, in front of the band, and they're like, Keaton, oh my god, Keaton's getting the sword, and like, Juliana Falunico, Isaiah Polamau, the special teams guys are apparently big fans of Keaton, but... Everyone was just so happy to see Keen kinda of get his moment at the end of the game. And I and we've talked about this. We talked about this with Chris in the preview pod for the season. I just think this team chemistry is different. It's something that we've we haven't really seen this team be together like they are and what we've seen so far in these past couple of weeks. And I think that matters. I think it matters when you're down 17 to three. If you're together, you can pull through and, and do things, make those mental hurdles, make those jumps. And so I think it transfers into the mental toughness of this team, having a basis of friendship, I think goes a long way, and the the interesting thing is when talking about the offensive line, all the coaches mention how they're gelling as players on the field, but also off the field. There's a friendship element to it, so I think all of that matters, and I think it's interesting that we're seeing it manifest itself so early in the season.
0: And the offensive line, those guys are all third-year guys. You know, except for Drew Richman, you got uh, the top six guys. They're all third-year guys. So you you got. Four starters side by side by side, and then Andrew Voorhees mixing in as well. So those guys have been together for three years. They're really good friends off the field, and I think their communication is great. You know, on and off the field. So we were seeing that. But another hurt another which I didn't even have on here. But since you mentioned the Keaton Slovis being put up on the uh, putting up all the pedestal and getting to lead the band, that was a uh, partly initiated by one of the song girls you know the song girls were really into keaton uh keaton's performance and and, you know getting him they were like one of the band directors was over because the band kind of lines up behind the field after the game or towards the end of the game and she's like you got to put keaton you're putting up keaton up there right he's got to go up the ladder he's got to go look what he's doing out look at and like she was all about the stats she had everything she you know she was on top of it so and then that was an interesting dichotomy off of what we heard last year on the sidelines. listening to the you're song like, girls as well. You're the song girl beat reporter. You're like, this is what the song <laughs> girls say. That's your whole job. They they're in front. I mean, they're on the sideline. There's a double line at USC, so the photographer's taking the in front. Until I get a six thousand dollar lens, then I'm going to be having to move up the sideline to take photos to have good crispy shots instead of you know being nice fuzzy in the back shots. So. I think that I will be around the song girls whenever USC is playing at home because of that.
1: Makes sense. Well, I mentioned Chai K earlier in stock down, so I'm kind of low,
0: so you go next, Shotgun. Okay. Well, uh, how about Michael Pitt Pittman? He does the splits on the sideline after a catch. You know, it looks very painful. This was when they showed me on the broadcast, and people were like, "What? why is Shotgun look confused or upset? And it was like, because I just saw a receiver do the splits. I realized after Was that when
1: he slipped? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, he
0: slipped and basically did the splits, and I was like, oh, that looked like it was painful. So he's slow to get up. And then, so it it takes him a second to get up, and he's right beside the USC sideline. So they are like, "Get out, get out!" And Devin Williams comes in for a play, and Pittman's mad. I'm he's furious. He's like, he's like about them taking him out, and he's got to be get checked out by the trainers. So I, I just thought that was interesting because. The lack of rotations we've seen at the receivers, it's still a faux-tation. It's not even a full rotation. It's a faux rotation. Amazing. Um, that they've had. You know, they, they gave the backups one drive, basically. And then we saw a couple of spot plays where uh, Munir McLean came in for Tyler Vaughns, or, you know, someone came in. But that, th- th- like this play, that's the only time a guy like Devin Williams was getting in until the very final drive when they're just running the clock out with M- Matt Fink and Marquis Step. So... That's what it's kind of interesting. That how, how are these younger receivers supposed to get opportunities and you know get some experience if no one ever wants to come out of the game? So that and Kerry Colbert talked about it this week. This is even before Devin Williams announced he was in a transfer portal. He talked with Chris uh, Chris Torvino about the rotation and said I've got to do a better job. And he said, Well, the first game you know was tough because we're trying to figure out the rhythm and the flow, and it's his first time in an air raid offense too. Uh, but I think that they've got to do a better job of being able to mix guys in and not necessarily always just, hey, this is your drive you go in, but, hey, they've run this is a seven-play or eight-play drive, and he just ran a deep ball. Let's get somebody else in there. We've only really seen that with Am- Amon Ross St. Brown with some guys stepping in the slot in the first game. There just hasn't been that much rotation. I'm wondering if it'll change as the season goes on.
1: Yeah, I'm just curious about that because Harold said that they need to police them better. But then I asked Drake London, well, what was the change between the first game and the second? And he was like, nothing really. We kind of just rotated more ourselves. So it's not something where the coaches are actually stepping in more, even though that's kind of what was suggested. So I'm curious how that develops going further. All before we move on to agree, disagree and answer your questions, let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with more. Already, we're back with Agree, Disagree. If you haven't heard of this segment before, it's when I say a statement to Shotgun, and he either agrees or disagrees. So let's go with the first statement. JT Daniels would have had the same performance that Keaton had against Stanford.
0: I think JT Daniels would have tore up Stanford's defense as well. If that's what you're asking, then yes. I don't know the exact stat numbers. I don't know any of that. But yeah, I think that the Stanford's defense is pretty bad um they've got a lot of stuff to clean up and USC had a lot of open receivers now I think Keaton played great and I think the fact that he showed the moxie to be able to get to be down early and find a way to come back I, I, but I think JT Daniels would have done all those same things I think this was a game where the quarterback either one of those guys it wouldn't matter now Keaton threw some very nice balls in particular the one ball to Tyler Vaughn's on the sideline you know on they get they get a holding penalty. They're backed up first and twenty. You know it's like a minute and a half left. Stanford's got three timeouts, I believe. It's like, are you going to be conservative and try to use some clock? No, they throw throw it deep. They throw it against Paulson Adebo, a potential first round guy at cornerback. They go after him. And they throw a back shoulder fade, and he threw a zip dart to Tyler Vaughn, Tyler Vaughn's great catch, obviously. you know, Nice hands catch, and then also the wherewithal to then. After he catches it, if you watch in slow motion, you see his head turn and he looks down to see where he's at on the field to make sure he gets his foot down. It's a really nice catch, but a really nice throw as well.
1: Moving on to our second statement, USC's defense hasn't truly been tested yet.
0: I think they've been tested with certain things, but the biggest thing they haven't been tested with is the accurate quarterback yep. because both Jorge Reyna and Davis Mills have missed a lot of throws. You know, I talked about it when they throw beyond three yards. So when they're not throwing screen passes or just immediate throws, you know, Jorge Reyna was eight of 24. That's pretty bad. Well, what about Davis Mills? His first career start as well. He went 12 for 25 for 148 yards on those throws and he threw the interception to Greg Johnson. When he had to throw it with a little touch, and by that I mean he had to throw it over a defender, you know, whether it be on the outside for a jump ball or over the middle, you know, there's a linebacker or someone underneath, it. he was four of fourteen for seventy-two yards. So, you know, I think that if Zach Wilson from BYU, he showed in the bowl game last year, he can be super accurate. I think he was like seventeen of eighteen or something. He was ridiculously good in that game. If he can be accurate, and especially with the fact that he's mobile in the backfield, then he could create some problems for USC because there's been some open receivers. Yep. You know, Colby Parkinson was wide open. There were a couple times where guys on the right, uh, Osiris St. Brown, at least one time, Sima Vahoku. You know, that Stanford could have had some big plays, and especially those often happen in the red zone. So maybe you turn some of those field goal attempts into touchdowns because Stanford scored in their first four drives: scored touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal. Had two more opportunities for field goals they missed and had one blocked. So you know if you turn those four drives from field goal attempts into touchdowns, that's a that's a way different ball game. Obviously, I mean that's forty-two points, and then you have a shootout. Uh, but USC was able to stop the team, have been able to stop Stanford in the red zone and in the scoring opportunities there, so they did a great job of that. But if someone's a little bit more accurate, will they be able to do the same? That's going to be a big question mark still.
1: Yeah, that's the big question I have, and that's actually why I brought up this statement, was because I don't... You would. I just, you know, I, I don't think USC has been tested by an elite passer yet. I think Zach Wilson can be hot and cold, so I'm curious which Zach Wilson they get on Saturday, but... I still think there's questions, open questions about this defense. And, and in my rewatches, when I see those open guys get missed, I'm like, what does it look like if opponents come back and are closer than they are in this game? Do they still have the mental toughness, et cetera? So that's why I'm, I'm curious about that all. Now this next statement that I have is just because I think USC fans, they still need something to complain about after Saturday's win. Ooh, that's some shots fired. I'm sorry guys. But marquee step should be incorporated in the Trojans run game plans.
0: You know, I have a hard time saying that the third string guys should be getting more opportunities. When I probably think the second string guys should get some more opportunities. Look, they, they're not using the, they didn't use the running backs a ton in this game. the The game plan was to spread Stanford out, use your athletes against theirs, and then you'll use the run game. You just you know sprinkle it in against Fresno State. They use the run game a lot more, especially in that second half when they were trying to bleed the clock a little bit. And they were not trusting Keaton Slovis fully to go through. It. You know, the game plan is going to change each week. But if you're 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 going to get the running backs twenty one touches, I think that's what it ended up being total. Uh, you had eighteen runs for the starters, you had eighteen runs and then three catches, so twenty one touches total. How many do you want to take away from Stephen Carr or Vavai Malapai to to be able to give to Marquis Step? I mean, Step showed what he can do on those couple of opportunities he had. He can be a dynamic guy, but you know those other two guys have earned their spot as the starter and the backup. For a reason you know I think they bring different elements to the the game and I just don't know that I can go and try to give a third string guy more opportunities where I'm like oh man how can we get Stephen Carr the ball a little bit more
1: yeah and and I have been an advocate last season I was like put Marquis step in we've seen him kind of be a bruiser in practice why not see that in in games but for me it's not like Viva Malpea and Stephen Carr aren't getting the job done and I just don't know Where you're going to work in Marquis Step into that. I don't think this is as outrageous as I feel like some fans have made it to be. Moving on to our final agree disagree. This upcoming game against BYU is a trap game for USC.
0: Yeah, I think it's a trap game because the Utah game the next week could determine, could very well likely determine the Pac 12 South. So are you looking ahead to that? And especially since it's on a short week. You know, there's a lot of things you might look forward to in that, that Utah game. Okay, how do we prepare? You know, we've got a, we got a day less. We got to get back and practice on Monday. Are you looking at that, or can you focus? If you can focus, then it you know it's a lesser opponent. It's a team that's not as talented. They've got some maturity. You know, there's some older guys on that team. Uh, but I, I don't think that it's it's a game that will trip USC up as long as they can focus on the the present task.
1: I would have to agree there. Look at us agreeing. Are we are uh, not living up to the feuding name, but we probably will soon. <laughs> I, now let's move on to an impromptu segment that I made last week that I'm bringing back this week: picking your brain, shotgun. And in <laughs> this segment last week, I had talked about how I actually was kind of delusional because I thought I believed in USC's scheme, the Graham Harrell's scheme, and so I think that proved to be not delusional based on what we saw on on based on what we saw against Stanford. Now my question is...
0: I mean, you were delusional last week, but you were correct on this. I was
1: tired, yes, but I was correct on that point. But now moving forward, I think people have gone the other way a little bit. I think there was a pendulum swing to the negative after Fresno State, and I think people are a little too high when it comes to after the Stanford game. And you mentioned it before in this podcast, but I think... We always mention the false positive with Stanford. I don't think this is the Stanford team that we all know Stanford to be. And you mentioned it. I think the defense was not as good. I, like you said, I'm curious how Keaton fares in more zone coverage. Does he make the right decisions? So now I'm kind of swinging back the other way of USC fans where I'm kind of still in wait and see. I did a radio interview and they're like, is USC back? And I'm like, hold up. Like it's, it's, I know.
0: That's a dumb, until a team wins a, Uh, national title they're never technically back
1: true that's a good that's a good
0: a team that has won national titles in the past it's not back until it gets to the place it's been before
1: sure so i'm still hesitant and i think you are too there's good signs from this team i just don't think that we know all of it just yet
0: yeah i would agree with that i mean there's still a long ways to go it's the season's going to be about adjustments, not only in game, but you know, game to game. Can you make adjustments as team teams make adjustments to you? You know, it's the first time a team has seen Keaton Slovis. You know, you saw Pulse and Adebo. You know, their their All American potential cornerback that USC picked on him because, and a couple times it was because he didn't think that Keaton Slovis had the arm strength that he has, and there was a couple. Uh, of throws that you know the velo on them was just you know he didn't expect them to 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 be on him as quick as they were and he thought he might get an interception instead it went for a catch and went you know went for some yards after catch as well so I, I think now that the team has some tape on him what did they try to do different it's hard to go about one game and make it about it's going to be representative of the entire season so I think it's a, you know football is a game of adjustments and a game of schemes. Much more so than basketball or baseball. You know, you can overpower teams in baseball and basketball more. But now that they've seen what USC can do and when it's at its you know, when it's at its fulcrum, now how do teams adjust and what do they try to do differently and how does USC react to those adjustments? Still still a lot of questions to be determined.
1: Yeah, I would agree. So in that sense, did Saturday's game change anything about how you feel
0: about the team projection? Your win loss total? I think that I'm more excited about the team. Not just because of Keen Slovis. Now, I had, I was dropping my prediction based on losing your starting quarterback. Slovis set, showed that he can play. You know, there's things he did that showed he can play. the The ability to make multiple reads on some of the plays. You know, I've said it a couple times on the Tunnel Vision Show that my favorite pass of his was a seven yard completion where he went through nearly five uh, five reads, five progressions and stepped up in the pocket to make a throw, you know, that's impressive for a freshman. Those are the things you worry about anytime you put a freshman in at any position. You know, how are they gonna react to the moment? And how are, are they gonna be able to, to go use their fundamentals and go through, you know, their technique or are they gonna get excited by the moment and freak out? For positive or negative. But are they gonna freak out? Or are they gonna be pretty cool calm, cool and collected and that was Keaton in this game. So, you know, I, I had downgraded their win total in my mind based on losing their starting quarterback. That's back up to where it was, but I'm a little bit, which was eight and four. Yeah. So I'm, I'm there's the, the, the positive out of this game. More importantly is probably the offensive line that the offensive line controlled Stanford's defensive line. You know, they were able to do whatever they want. Now we'll see against BYU again, more mature guys, you know, BYU's gonna do some different things, but the communication yeah. that was what was most impressive. USC was picking up stunts and twists. They were talking with each other. You see guys head snap to, to help out a teammate. Those things we didn't see last year at all. So those things Tim Drevno's attacked those issues, the communication issues, and it's showing on the field. So that is a big positive because their offensive line plays well. I've said it for what a year and a half, two years now. You know, We've they'll
1: all said that, yeah. They'll
0: go as far as the offensive line takes them basically. You know, it's the key to the team. If you can't protect the quarterback, it doesn't matter what quarterback's back there. If you can't run the ball at all, that makes it even that much more difficult in a young quarterback. But they are doing those things early. Now they didn't run the ball great in this game, but they picked up the big yards when they needed to. You know, they had t- they had four three touchdown runs. You know, and they were able to to get the the short yardage situations when they needed to. So I, I thought that the offensive line played well, and that's a very positive sign for this d- this team going forward.
1: Yeah, I was low key shocked looking at the communication and how well they did that in this game. That was something the Film study where I was like, you just didn't see USC's offensive line do this in previous seasons. Like, that was just a level that just didn't get reached there. So, that's something, once again, plug. Look at Shotgun's film study breakdown. You can see things that you don't notice when you're watching it live, but they've improved and it's really interesting to see
0: yeah you starting from pre-snap with brett nilon i think he's doing a great job and some of the other linemen have given him credit for their communication pre-snap but then in, in snap you know when the play is going on they're doing a great job being able to communicate with each other
1: all let's go into questions we went email exclusive questions we didn't want to put out twitter questions just because We don't want to make this a very long podcast, and we still do anyway. But let's go to an email from Kevin, who says, "Hi, Keely and Shotgun, love the show. Thanks, Kevin." He says, "My question is, why do you think Tyler Vons is succeeding so well in the new system, but Michael Pittman has been relatively quiet through two games?" That's a tough one to answer.
0: You know, I I think that Tyler Vons has been open. I think Michael Pittman's been open at times. Uh, You know, if you look at the catches that Pittman hasn't made, you know, or he has made and there's been a penalty, you know, he'd have two touchdowns. You know, he had a ball over the middle in the first game against Fresno State on the first drive that was a touchdown and got called back. You know, he ran out of bounds on the play that he caught, you know, on the other at the other end zone against Fresno State it would have been a touchdown. So, then do you look at it and go, well, he's really struggling right now? I don't I don't think so cuz he would have multiple touchdowns. They're not throwing as much his way, but they got him involved more in the second half. You saw them actively try to get him involved. You know, it it seemed like almost a little bit they were, you know, trying to push the ball to his side. Now, part of it might also be that they moved Paulson to Debo around. Now he didn't guard Pittman, but you know he went from Tyler Vaughns to Amon Ross St. Brown, who was on the same side as, uh, as Michael Pittman at times. So maybe they try to avoid that to a little bit. I don't know exactly uh, if they were trying to avoid someone or anything like that. I just think that they they were having success throwing it to everyone, so they weren't trying to you know get one person involved. And I think it'll be. The same as it was last year. There'll be games where Michael Pittman goes off and gets 150 yards, and Tyler Vaughn's has two catches for 17 yards, or whatever it may be. I, I think there's just, just those receivers are so talented that sometimes one guy's gonna have a really good game and the other guy does. And you know, just the fact that Pittman hasn't had an excellent game in the first two doesn't mean that that the the, the offense is going away from him or anything.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree. I, I I'm not concerned about that happening for Pittman. I think it's just it will come a certain game and then he'll go off and then you know it trades around
0: he had six catches ready two yards too so that
1: too it's not yeah
0: it's not like he's not getting the ball at all true
1: also i would argue that not everyone believes that tyler wants succeeding so <laughs> <laughs> it's subjective now let's go to an email from miles who says thanks again for the great podcast i really enjoy it thanks He says, I have a question regarding the Stanford game. Without looking at the stats, it feels like the defense played much better in the second half. How much of that would you attribute to the offensive play of the Trojans? The longer drives gave the D rest, and I believe scoring gave them a morale boost. It felt like we had a lot of three and outs last year. Again, not looking at stats. And they got tired and felt a burden to make stops. I think scoring changes the mentality and confidence of the defense. Any thoughts? Take care. Miles.
0: You know, Miles, it seems like you've been reading you know my comments or watching tunnel vision or something from february or march cuz this is almost exactly what i said you know that the the defense would be helped out by the offense by the offense scoring more points and keeping them off the field a little bit more and you know just not going three and out you know even when they don't succeed in score you know, are they able to pick a first down or two up to, to give a little bit of a break? I think that's happening. Now, I don't know that that was necessarily the reason why Stanford game was because I don't think it it gets as tiring in that, in that game just because there's 61 offensive plays for USC. I think it was 66 defensive plays. So that's not a lot compared to what you can have in other games. So the tempo is much, much more – contained in that game so i don't think it had to do with that but the morale boost i think is definitely there when you go down 17 three and i think the defense also gave the morale boost to the offense by getting that stop after the fumbled kickoff return you know it goes you go down 21 three there's a lot of guys looking around like we gotta score we have to score Whereas 17-3, your are two scores down. There's a little bit less pressure there, and you got a freshman quarterback. You don't have to put too much on him necessarily. But so I think that that they worked together in that the offense started scoring and the defense probably going. You know what? Let's go. We're going to stop. They're going to score again, and that's what they did. They scored over and over and over again in the second from the second quarter on basically. So you know, Stanford scored on their first four drives. They didn't score on the final six. USC was basically the opposite of that. They didn't score. You know, they got the three points early, but they didn't score a lot in the the between the middle of the first and early middle of the second, and then they just started scoring at will.
1: And this is probably going to be family feud bingo because we mentioned this so much, but the Cam Smith interview at the end of the season after the Notre Dame game, that's something that he actually mentioned that attributed to the defensive performance is that You know, they didn't think that the offense could necessarily get it done when they needed to. And it was hard to come back after short three and outs. So I think that is something that does help. Um, And the thing is, too, with Clancy Pendergast defense, I think it's prone to have some big plays. They'll have a run of shutting guys down and then they'll be like a whoops mental lapse and, and some guy will break off for some long run or something like that. When you have an offense that has leeway for Clancy's defense to have those kind of lapses, I think that also helps as well. We got an email from the aforementioned Richard. Uh, He said, hi, Keeling Shotgun. Awesome game last night. Great to see the team find their feet after going down early. He said, my question is, did Slovis bait the Stanford defense into the two offside penalties? He seemed to bait them with a fake clap or snap, or am I just crazy?
0: Honestly, I didn't really check that one. I know the second one, the the guy just jumped, uh, but I didn't really check that. And the fact that the ball went flying by Slovis on the first one would make me believe that if he did you know, try to do something that wasn't really intentional there. I didn't really check that one to see, uh, but that was something that USC will eventually use. They'll use a fake clap or, you know, there'll be a pause when the guy snaps the ball. They won't snap it every time on a, on, a, on a clap or anything like that because then you don't want guys timing up the snap and, and being able to rush off the end really quickly. And it will be different this week. When you go on the road, things change. So we'll see how they change that, that kind of thing this weekend as well.
1: He said, thanks for all your guys' hard work and fight on. He also said, random note, I think Shotgun made a sideline cameo during the live broadcast. And then we got an email from Tarion as well who said, hey, Keely and Shotgun, wanted to shout you out and say I saw both of you on the sidelines on the USC Stanford telecast. Shotgun, you had a quick shot standing on the sideline. Keely, a great shot of you looking down into your camera, filming the touchdown reception. I appreciate the job both of you do. Chaka, we got a lot of fanfare about our, our cameos on the national broadcast. I thought on that shot that Tarion referenced, I looked a little demonic. I hate my camera filming face. but no, it's just normal for you. How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> I know. Someone tweeted that you look confused on the sideline. And I was like, that's how his face normally uh-huh, looks. Yeah, exactly. I got to take a shot if I can.
0: Which was actually what we talked about was Michael Pittman doing the split. So yeah, well, yeah. I didn't know what it was at the time either because the tweets, you know, they roll into your phone a couple minutes later because you're not checking immediately. And I was like, I don't know what I was looking at. Let's go to our final email. It's from our buddy Maybeth in Ontario.
1: She says, hi, Keely and Shotgun. This is Maybeth from Ontario. She has multiple questions. Her first question says, if we stay on the Fresno State slash Stanford trajectory, growing pains included, what do you think our highest ranking will be at the midseason mark?
0: Well, I mean, the trajectory from Fresno State to Stanford is a huge up climb. So you could be a top five team, you know, because you've beaten, you would have beaten Utah at home. You beat Washington on the road and Notre Dame on the road. I mean, that's, USC would be top 10 at that time, at least. If not top five, it would just kind of depend on what some other teams do. Note in the SEC, since four of the five are top five teams are in the SEC, I think it's six of 10, too. So they'll beat up on each other. Some of those teams will lose, but it'll just kind of depend on what everybody else does. That's the trajectory of this team right now. Now, is that how it's going to play out? Probably not. You know, there's going to be some up and downs as they go through this next group because it's still it's still a grueling schedule. You know, we expected the Stanford game was a game that USC could win, and Stanford showed that they're they're not a great football team right now. Uh, and when they get KJ Costello back, maybe things change a little bit. But that that was not a great football team. That wasn't a top 25 team they beat, even though they were ranked. We'll find out more as they go these next couple of games. Can you go on the road and win? Okay, we'll see if they can do that against BYU. BYU's a game we said at the beginning of the season. Yeah, they can win that game. I expected them they could be three and zero coming out. Would they be three and zero? That was still a big question. But yeah, they could be three and zero. Now, could they follow that up with three more wins? That was when people were like, "Nah, I don't think that's going to happen." That's that's going to be the, the real, you know, struggle of the season. Is can you get through that three game stretch? You know that. Three game stretch determines. Like I said it before the season, if they're six and zero, you say this is a college football playoff team, and that's what you would say about this group. You'd say, yep. okay, they got Oregon left,
1: maybe Cal, maybe.
0: Yeah, I mean Cal's playing really well, uh, but you would still think that you know they're obviously going to be favored in that game. Uh, I think Cal will slip up. And congratulations to them on the big win at four a.m. <laughs> Eastern time, I think it was. The fact that I could watch it.
1: While doing instant analysis in the press box, tells you how late it is. Yeah,
0: I was like, whoa, there's a game on. I was like, this isn't a replay. No, but they're they're playing well right now. They're playing with confidence. Ethan Garbers, you know, former guy that that USC was trying to recruit, uh, has looked pretty good, is much better than he was last season, and that defense continues to be really good. Justin Wilcox. Justin Wilcox doing a great job with there. Give him credit. True. But going
1: back to maybe that's question, highest ranking? What do you think?
0: Three. I think Alabama and Clemson will still be undefeated. So that would be. What about Georgia. Yeah, Georgia probably uh, so four okay
1: yeah yeah maybe somebody
0: slips up you never know
1: yeah it'll be interesting to see I'm the next four games I think really tell you, will tell you all about this team let me reiterate I'm not
0: saying they will be fourth that is the highest trajectory for
1: everyone them. make fun of shotgun <laughs> he's so wrong haha <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on to her second question which we actually haven't talked about yet which we should probably mention at this point on Monday Lynn Swan resigned Carol Fulton out a statement that he was stepping down resign in quotation marks because it looked like a nice way of firing him in that sense but maybe that says who are your top five choices for the next athletic director
0: i'm not gonna give you five choices because i don't run with all the athletic directors you know greg Byrne would have been a great decision you know when they hired len swan he was a guy i was pushing for then i don't know of anybody else that off the top of my head is like oh you gotta go get that guy but let me give you some if not top five choices what about top five
1: attributes
0: attributes that's a good one First off, we want to. We've talked about this. We want to get somebody that's outside the USC circle because the USC circle has struggled recently. You know, whether you're hiring Pat Hayden or Lynn Swan, those, were, those moves have not worked out. But also, all the scandal that's kind of embroiled the school. Why don't you go outside and find someone that's been successful? Now, that's another uh, attribute that I'm looking for successful. Someone who's been successful at another, particularly a Power Five school, preferably. You know, that's your preference, someone that knows the ins and outs of a power five. That would be great. I'm looking for someone that has shown that they can hire successful people. I think that's the most important one for me because that is what an athletic director is defined by. How do your hires do? Your football coach, your basketball coach, you know, on and on down the list. How do they do? So once you have to make a decision, someone retires, someone gets fired, how have your hires done? I, that's what the the biggest thing for me, an athletic director. How have you done when you went out and hired someone? Are you just hiring people you know, and you would go the USC way? And we've seen what's happened with you know the hires that USC's just stuck with people that they're used to. It hasn't really worked out. They haven't gone for the the top end people. So that's what I would look for. Um, I, I think that the rest of it plays out, you know, athletic directors can do can be in all shapes and forms and be successful. You know, it's just about how you identify talent, you know, to an extent.
1: Yeah, Sharkon essentially answered it for me. For me, if you just replace Lin Swan with someone who's Lin Swan 2.0, then it's not the change that USC fans were so excited for when they saw the news. So I think it has to be someone who's successful, who has experience, and and is willing to kind of do the nitty-gritty work that's going to happen when you come into this administration and see, hey, there are problems here, 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 and here, and this is what needs to happen. So someone who's going to do that and is willing to do that, I think, is key. Whether or not that happens is TBD, but that's what I would say.
0: So I got a question for you. Sure. Who would be your choice if USC did hire another former football player? Who would you choose?
1: You know the answer I'm about to say.
0: You can't choose Reggie Bush because he's still technically – prohibited by the nca technically so technically. i'm not gonna let you get that one
1: but what if he becomes ad and makes it technically okay
0: there this the entire school is is supposed to be you know separated from him so we're not going to use him who would you choose hmm. now you've had a wide receiver you've had a, a quarterback you've had a running back do you stay with an offensive skill player do you go with a big ugly do you go with a lineman you know anthony muñoz You go with a defensive player for the first time? You know, somebody can play some defense?
1: This is going to kind of be out of
0: left field, and people might
1: hate me for this.
0: Morgan Breslin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No. I have
0: two. David Maelstrom.
1: (laughs) He's too young. (laughs) Um, He's a former walk-on, guys. Um, Petros Papadakis? Is that crazy?
0: That would be crazy.
1: But here's the thing. I caught what he said on his radio show. I did not. He comes from the same line of thinking of Ryan and Dan in the sense that he knows what's happened in this athletic department. He knows the problems. He knows the kind of circular thinking. And I think he would be the one to come in and be like, no, you can't do that. We're going to clean this thing up. So maybe that. If not, I think I would go fun and say maybe Keyshawn Johnson. Oh, you stole my answer. Yeah, that's
0: what I was going to go with. Keyshawn would definitely be the most entertaining uh, for sure. You know, if if you're going – he is an offensive player though, so I want to go defense or offensive line, and maybe Anthony Munoz. He's he's a cool guy. I met him at Juju's gala. And and if, if they're available, you know, in the in the off season, Adori or Juju could still be a great choice as well.
1: Very true. <laughs> There'd be a lot more video games if that happened. <laughs> a lot more Fortnite, <laughs> which you know might help this athletic department. You never know.
0: Bo- team bonding over Fortnite.
1: True. Already. Prediction shotgun. How do you think this game is going to go? I
0: don't know. I'm terrible in predictions.
1: You're claiming that just because you were wrong last week no, and I, I was right. I was.
0: I'm just not very good at them. I'm going to pick USC to beat the spread. How about that? Mm, give me a what sh- it, like four point favorite. Last I saw, I think. Oh, yeah, I think if it's three and a half, twenty-eight, twenty-four us. That's easily do- doable.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with USC getting the win. I'm saying thirty-five ten. Could be with a potential for more. For some reason, I I'm like I said. Until Graham Harrell proves me wrong, I'm going to believe in his system.
0: I mean, I started with 28-3 as my first thought, and I was like, ah, 28-24 sounds a lot better. So.
1: Low-key, I think predictions, score predictions are dumb, but it's part of the job.
0: It's a, it's a difficult thing, especially in college football, because or especially in football, just because it's such a matchup-based thing. And if you don't really know what they're trying to do, their schematics before the game, it's hard to really know.
1: Very true indeed. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Apple Play, and Megaphone. Also, you can send us questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us. Shotgun spr is... ShotgunSPR, yes, that's correct. Yes, and is my name. Follow us there. Keeley is your name. It what is. What is that? Shocking. That's crazy. Crazy. righty, that's going to wrap it up. We'll see you all next week. Peace.